0: Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. Today is Wednesday, 26 October 2016. My name is Brendan O'Brien and the title of this week's episode is Aussie Ion Drive Going to the International Space Station. Each session we'll have a special guest in both the professional and amateur fields of radio astronomy. We'll have a news roundup. To wrap up each show, we'll hear about what's up in the observable sky when we talk with Dr Ian Musgrave of AstroBlogger fame. So let's get stuck right into today's show. Okay, we're at the Australian Space Science Conference and we're speaking with Ian Whitechurch, who is the CEO of Newman Space. Hi, Ian.
1: G'day. I work with Paddy Neumann, who is currently enjoying the conference over in Guadalajara, Mexico.
0: Ah, right. Very good, Ian. Now, tell us, before we get into your iron drive, can you tell us a little bit about how you started getting interested
1: in science in the first place? I have loved space since I was a kid. Uh, When I was 13 or 14 years old, I was building pretend starships. I was following the news. I remember the space shuttle. I remember wanting humanity to go into space. And so when my mate Paddy Neumann invented his space drive, I figured I should do what I could to help him.
0: Okay. Tell us a little about this space drive. It's an iron drive, is it? Yep. Well, how does it work in general terms?
1: The thing about the Neumann drive is that it is a solid-fueled pulsed cathodic arc thruster. Yep. Now, the way it works, normally when you put an electric current through a metal cathode, the way that your stove works or that electric bar heaters work, it heats it up and then eventually it melts it and it vaporises. However, it turns out if you do this in a hard vacuum, equivalent to about 100 kilometres up from Earth's surface into like space, and you put the current at fairly insane amounts of amps for a very short amount of time, about 2,500 amps for about 200 millionths of a second, then rather than the material heating up, melting, vaporising, it jumps straight to ionisation, and some of the cathode material gets the heck out of dodge at tens to hundreds of kilometres a second in thrust. This is an extremely highly efficient ion engine. The best fuel we've found is magnesium. Paddy's recent article in Applied Physics Letters, a peer-reviewed physics journal, have us stating that the drive will do 11,000 seconds of specific impulse. Specific impulse is miles per gallon for spaceships. It doesn't say anything about how fast you'll get that acceleration. It just says about how far you'll be able to get. That's about three times as good as the best competing electric system in operation. It's about 10 times as good as you get out of a chemical rocket.
0: So, you've been working obviously theoretically and experimentally. How long before we see a prototype?
1: We're going to be sending one up to the International Space Station late like 2018.
0: Awesome! Fantastic! Well, wow, what a coup! Yes, and I'm just looking at the paperwork that confirms that. That's wonderful news. I'm sure we're going to see this breaking in the mainstream press in the very near future, but you heard it first on Astrophys.
1: So the thing about the drive is because it works on solid metal fuel, it should also be a lot easier to refuel than if you're dealing with gas or liquid fuels in microgravity. Right. The fuel rod is a cathode and as it's used up it is sacrificed. Yep. But we know about that. What you won't have to deal with things like is keeping your liquid oxygen cold enough that it doesn't boil off of the space. Making sure your hydrazine doesn't escape while you're trying to refill your fuel tank. Yep. Making sure that the Pressure is kept correct so that none of the gas escapes through a small crack in your fuel tank.
0: Yeah, so it's a solid-state drive.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Now, the other point about it is that although it really likes magnesium, and there's a couple of other materials such as molybdenum that are pretty good for various purposes, if it's solid and conductive or semiconductive, we can use it. Carbon is a fairly good fuel The other thing is that space junk is made out of titanium, magnesium, aluminium, solid, metallic, conductive fuels. One of the things that we hope the drive will be able to do is turn space junk. I don't think of space junk as space junk. I don't like the term. It's a negative term. It's like using anti-vaccine for pro-disease people. I prefer to use the term adorable little baby asteroids. It's potential fuel. It's a resource. Yeah. And it's free? No. No. Uh, Under the uh, Outer Space Treaty, everything still belongs to the person who launched it from space. So just because the US isn't currently using some Delta-5 booster doesn't mean... Someone can put out a black flag with a red hourglass on it and just yep. yar it. That is still the property of the United States. Okay. The United States might choose to sell it to you, yep. but it won't necessarily be free. You'll have to talk the owner out of letting you do it. Uh, my company has strict policies against space piracy.
0: So what's not to love? That's beautiful. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Ian Whitechurch. We're going to be hearing a lot more from Newman Space. Hello, Ian. Hello, Brendan. How's it going? All very good. Thank you very much. So, tell us, Ian, what's up in the sky this week? This week starts off with a beautiful
2: sight. If you look in the western sky shortly after twilight, you'll see the wonderful sight of the bright red star Antares, the brilliant white planet Venus, and the dimmer yellow star Saturn, or yellow planet Saturn. All lined up in one straight line. Wow! Uh, yep, yep, that'll be absolutely brilliant. So that, that's how the, the the week starts off. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere uh, and in Australia, you might be lucky and see the International Space Station zoom past this triplet. Uh, certainly in Adelaide, the International Space Station will be passing close to the triplet on the 28th. Other places may see the International Space Station pass close uh, the day before or the day after the uh, the lineup. Of course, immediately after, while well, on, on the 28th, they'll, they'll be almost perfectly in the straight line. If the weather clouds you out, the day after, they'll still be slightly lined up. It won't be uh, absolutely perfect, but it'll be still look really, really nice. Now, over the next few days, they'll, they'll line up quite nicely. And as the days go on, it goes from being a perfect line to being a triangle, and then an elongated triangle will look very nice indeed. And of course, this is all happening beside the constellation of uh, Scorpius, of the Scorpion. So uh, this is a very distinctive constellation that looks like a back-front question mark. And so this will look very, very nice indeed. And then later on in the week, the thin crescent moon will join the trio of Antares, Venus and Saturn. Yes, And so on the 2nd of November, you'll see just below the trio the thin crescent moon, and so quite early in the twilight, you'll be able to see the three of them uh, reasonably easy. As the evening goes on and the sky gets darker, you'll really need a quite a level of light to see all uh, four of them together. And then on the 3rd, the, the moon will... will uh, uh, Forms a sort of uh, squash diamond shape, roughly in line with Saturn and then with Venus. And then the the next night, the moon's a bit further away, so it won't look quite as nice. So the second and third are the best nights to see the thin crescent moon with uh, Venus and Harris and Saturn together. And of course, as it gets darker, you'll see the Earth shine going with the crescent moon as well. To see it at its best, of course, quite early in the evening, when the sky is relatively bright, you'll be able to see Venus and the crescent moon quite easily. You'll need, uh, as, as the evening goes on, Saturn and Antares comes out, but you'll really need a, uh, for on the second, you'll really need a fairly level horizon to be able to see the crescent moon at its best. Uh, on the third, they're, they're all quite high above the horizon, so you'll be able to see them quite easily.
0: So, people who are just beginning to observe the night sky, are, can you briefly explain what Earthshine is? Earthshine is exactly what it sounds like. It's the light of the Earth,
2: the illuminated part of the Earth, it's illuminated by the Sun, the light of the Earth being reflected off the Moon. So, as the thin crescent Moon gets lower in the sky and the sky gets darker you'll be able to see the thin bright uh, part of the moon that is reflecting the sun's light and then you'll be able to see the rest of the moon has a sort of reddish orange glow and that's
0: the light of the the reflected light of the earth being reflected off the moon Very good, Ian. And you also mentioned earlier that the International Space Station will be visible over Adelaide. Do you use heavensabove.com to get that information? Yes, I actually use
2: two different sites. I use CalSky and Heaven's Above for finding information about passes over over my site. They're both very good. I use Heavens Above quite a bit. It's really easy to get a hold of. The CalSky is also very good to, to set up. I ha- so either the site will do. They're very easy to set up for your local site. And,
0: and it's, it's a free, free service?
2: Both of these services are free. Now, I've mentioned it being for Adelaide. Passes of the International Space Station are very site-dependent. So for um, Southern Australia... It's very likely that you'll see the International Space Station coming close to the trio on or about a similar time. Yes. But as you go as you go further up Australia, it's likely that you'll find different times for the International Space Station, and it may not necessarily pass both. So you've really got to look to uh, look up uh, a site such as Heaven's above or CalSky to see whether or not the International Space Station will come close. I mean, it might, With the, if you uh, look at the site, you may even find that the International space may come be- uh, between the Saturn and Venus from some locations in Australia. So you may even see a, a lot better vision than uh, what I've described. And some places, sadly, may see nothing at all. So it's, it's really important to look up at uh, uh, your site. With Heavens Above, you've got to go there and actually look yourself. With CalSky, they, they have a service where they'll actually email you any close approaches. I also use a service for their site, which will tell me if the International Space Station is going to cross over the face of the moon or over the face of the sun. <laughs> so I can uh, look up, uh, use uh, the, the system to see if I can get a, a, a moon crossing or a sun crossing. This is a very useful service. It makes
0: for very striking photographs.
2: Photographs. Amazing photographs. Of course, my equipment isn't as good as some other people. So a very famous astrophotographer
0: who has some really
2: stunning images of the station coming across the face of the moon, where you can see the space station in great detail.
0: And if anyone's also interested, the Chinese space station is on heavens above, I know, probably on Sky as well. It's very easy to find out if the Tiangong 2 is going overhead.
2: Yes, it is indeed. Uh, Tiangong 2 isn't as bright as the International Space Station. The International Space Station is very bright and with a good pass it's brighter than Venus and very easy to pick up, whereas Tiagong 2 is sometimes only about as bright as Sirius. For our Northern Hemisphere listeners, they might be interested in, in uh, having a look and having two space stations in the sky gives you double the opportunity to see a human-occupied spacecraft to take notes in the going 2 at the moment. And Chinese uh, astronauts uh, previously have not been quite as accessible as the astronauts on the International Space Station. But uh, it looks like China's uh, trying to make an effort to be a, a bit more accessible uh, than, than previously. So we'll see how that goes over the coming weeks.
0: Very good, Ian. Now, do you have a tangent for us this week? I have a tangent for you uh, on Monday the 31st of October
2: is the blue, inverted commas, new moon. Uh, it, uh, to remind people, uh, in the modern era, we call blue moons the second uh, moon. We've well, so we used blue moons for full moons to be the second full moon occurring in the month. It's actually different to what the historically blue moons were, but now since sky and telescope in, uh changed the usage in the uh, 1950s, I believe it was, we now use uh, a blue moon is the second uh, full uh, moon in the month. Yep. But uh, every other phase of the moon uh, uh, can have uh, have two phases of the moon in the month. So we've got uh, 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 this month, we've got two new moons uh, in the month. And so on on, uh, on October the 31st, We have a second um, uh, new moon in the month. This is the blue new moon. Um, But 2007 I10 is uh, a trans-Neptunian object. It's the third largest dwarf planet after Pluto and Eris. Yep. Uh, it's big. It's bigger than Maki Maki or Hayomiya. For those people that actually know how to pronounce those names, I apologise. And it is now means that Sedna is the only dwarf planet that is not known to have a moon. Virtually every uh, every other object that is big enough to be called a dwarf planet has a moon. So Maki Maki has moons, Haumea has moons, Eris has moons. So Sedna is the odd one out. Hyamia has two moons with the names uh, Hayak, Hik and and, and Namakaya. Eris has dysnomia. Maki Maki has... So what makes Sedna different? Uh, Sedna is a a really um, interesting trans-Neptunian planet, or dwarf planet, vaguely football-shaped compared to the other trans-Neptunian objects. It uh, it has a really bizarre orbit where it's really extended, and, and it's the orbit of Sedna is in fact one of the reasons why they believe that there is a, a ninth planet. Well, I did see
0: one prediction, Ian, where someone's predicting there's so many people hunting for Planet 9 at the moment that they believe they're going to find it in the next 15 months. Uh,
2: I've I've seen that prediction. I've uh, seen another prediction saying that it might be as soon as five months away. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Very good. Um, I mean, even moons... (laughs) Even moons have moons. Um, Even asteroids have moons. I mean, what is going on? So it's it's a bit of a quandary. It just goes to show that the solar system has a lot more interesting things to throw at us.
0: And the universe is bigger than we thought too. I saw the recent discovery that we're now counting the galaxies that we've got at about 2 trillion. Yes, we, we appear to have uh, 10 times
2: more galaxies than we thought we had already.
0: I noticed yeah. also there's another story developing and that's that they think that perhaps the universe is not expanding at the accelerating rate that was originally thought.
2: I haven't seen that. That would be very interesting if that was true.
0: Yes, I wonder, um, if, I wonder if they'll take back the Nobel Prize.
2: Um,
0: <laughs> can you do that? <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm sorry. We're going to have to take the Nobel Prize back.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a story we'll keep our eye on.
2: Uh, I think so. I think so. Uh, one thing that we might be keeping our eye on is the uh, 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 Chaparelli lander.
0: Yes, we're reporting on that in the news this week, Ian. The mothership is performing well in orbit and doing some nice science already. Yes,
2: that's very
0: good. Well, we've had 18 attempts so far and of those, 11 have failed. Yeah, yeah. Well, the good thing is that they've got a lot of data so that even from a failure, the ESA will learn a hell of a lot. Well, thank you very much, Ian Astroblog Musgrove. It's been great talking with you again. Okay, well, all the best. It was a pleasure speaking to you and may you have clear skies and uh, hopefully you will see some fantastic space station passes. Of which space station, it doesn't matter, so I'll see one. Very good, Ian. Thank you very much. No way. That's it for this week. See you next week. Radio Wave!